praise God. You know, when you're, you've been somewhere for 25 years, you have a little bit of a history. And uh, just things that started coming to my memory a Sunday night a number of years ago when uh, the Dupuy family went through an incredible test. And um, to see Christy well, whole. And I think probably it doesn't have to be too much of a stirring in their mind to remember those days at DCH. And who hasn't? If you live very long in your life, you're going to come through stuff. And it's going to test you to the core of your being. And we can look back and say, you know, Lord, at the time I was asking, where, where are you? We know exactly where he was. He was right there on the spot. Amen. Praise God. Well, I'm going to share a message with you. The title's on the back of that handout. I don't know if you look at it or go through it, but, it, you know, it's good to, you know, doodle on it and, you know, draw stuff on it. If you don't want to take notes, just use it. But uh, happiness or joy, and uh, what's the difference between the two? Is there a difference between happiness and joy? Um, I'm still focusing really on the work, the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, in fact, everything, everything that happens to us that has spiritual worth, spiritual uh, results in godliness and righteousness and anything that brings us closer to the Lord has the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit all over it because he's the one sent in Jesus' place to do it. We might not think of him that much because that's, there's really a reason for that because Jesus said, He's not going to be so much bringing attention to himself. He's going to be bringing attention to the Savior. But he's here to do that. And so there's so much he wants to do. He is our helper in every way. Sometimes you may not sense the Holy Spirit. You sense the presence of Jesus. But I'm telling you, the one who's making the presence of Jesus real to you is the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus literally is at the right hand of the Father, right? So... The reason he can be here is through the work of the Holy Spirit, his presence. Yesterday at Primetimers, I was, <laughs> when uh, Sharon Brackner started sharing what she was going to preach on, I was like, oh man, she's going to preach my sermon. <laughs> and uh, and I was, uh, when we got home, I told Brenda, I said, well, I guess I can't use a, a uh, illustration from C.S. Lewis because Sharon's already given the illustration in Primetimers. And she said, oh, there's just a handful that was there. You can go ahead. And I said, well, I guess they'll get a double dose of it. Um, I thought, I really thought she was about to, she did preach so much of my message. It was kind of, I had to hand her one of the bulletins. I said, this is what I'm preaching on tomorrow. And she couldn't believe it. It's about this thing about happiness. And her point was, People that are seeking happiness in all kind of situations and are, and are making huge mistakes because they're trying to find happiness in the wrong place, right? Happiness seems to be, uh, if I ask people, how many of you are happy? Probably some of you say, well, you know, kind of. 
I'm not real happy right now. I got to have something to really amp it up. In fact, how about this? The whole time this week I was preparing this, I had one of these pop-up ads, a poll pop-up, and it had a slide on it. What's your scale of happiness today? I says, how about that? You know, what I say right there, you know? Because happiness, I want to really kind of draw a distinction between happiness and joy. They're kind of related, but they're not the same. Happiness seems to be the result of something happening externally, right? Um, I got the job, got accepted into pharmacy school. Yes, that's a moment of happiness, and it's good. It should be a moment of happiness. Uh, got a raise and pay. Just paid the last payment on my car. How about that? PTL, praise the Lord. Write it on the check. I'm glad to get rid of you people. <laughs> this is the last time you'll ever see anything come from me. You know, Nissan down here calls me every now and then and says, you know, I see that your car is such and such, and, and uh, we, got, we got a really good deal. And I said, I've given my wife permission that if I ever say I'm going to buy a new car, she can slap me as hard as she can because I am not thinking right. Anybody knows that joy of making the last payment on anything? And that's like, that makes you happy. Some is a new arrival of a baby. I'm telling you, over at the maternity ward at Northport DCH, that last, the, there was a lot of happiness going on over there. The arrival of baby, babies that, that week. Or, I'm in love. She said yes. How about that? Getting married. Or, I'm going on vacation. Now, you know, there's a varying degree of vacation. <laughs> if you got four kids, it's like it's got it's like a mixture. Or five kids, or six kids. It's like we're gonna have a good time, but we're gonna all be in the same place at the same time all the time. How about that? I grew up in, in a little church in Vincent called Ark Ride Assembly of God. Now it's Vincent Revival Center. And there was a couple in our church that had uh, they had the honoriest kids. They was always having to take them out of the service and beat them, you know, whatever. You know, there, was, there was no children's church. I grew up with no children's church. There was just a path outside for a counseling session. And I heard one time that Faye Howard lined her kids up, says, well, kids, we're all going to go on a vacation here in a few days, or, or they're about to leave that day, and said, um, I know all of you are going to act up, so turn around, we'll whip you all right now. And... Uh, and I thought it was a joke. No, she spanked every one of them right there. This is an anticipation of a problem we're going to have, and we're going to go ahead and deal with it right here. Now, they probably weren't happy. They probably like, well, we got one in. We, we have a, a balance now. We got one to the good. I don't know. I'm, I'm, we were too afraid of our parents spanking us, so we tried our best not to violate any of those things. But joy is determined. Happiness is determined by these externals. But joy is determined by what's in here. Really. Joy is deeper than happiness. And uh, I'm going to get to joy here in just a moment. I'm going to leave you these verses. We're going to come back to these verses about joy. All these verses are very familiar to you. One is in Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We know that. We're going to visit that verse in a little bit. 
Psalm 35, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes at, not happiness. I'm going to tell you why happiness is not there. Instead, it's joy. But joy comes in the morning. And Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. There's no law that can hinder those nine fruit of the Spirit. And so we're going to visit that. We're going to deal with happiness right here. Does God want you to be happy? <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> Trick question. No, he doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to be joyful. And I think there's kind of like a, a similarity there. Does God want you to be happy? Yes, it's a matter of where, what the source of your happiness is. And I'm going to deal with two sources here about happiness. One is C.S. Lewis, and the other one is Paris Reedhead. Um, I, I, I will probably try to post this article about C.S. Lewis. The, the guy's name is Trevin Wax. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how to spell it because you can look him up. T-R-E-V-I-N Wax, just like you wax a car. Trevin Wax. T-R-E-V-I-N W-A-X, he writes for the Gospel Coalition. Anybody here familiar with the Gospel Coalition? All right. Great article there. Rosario Butterfield has a great article. You just, you know, research her. She had a, th th this is a great site to read some um, articles. Well, Trevin Wax found the last written word that C.S. Lewis had written before he died in 1963. I want you to mark that into your mind. I mean, that's way ahead of or way past what some of your ages are. But we all know what happened in November of 1963. John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And on that very day, C.S. Lewis passed away. And the last thing he wrote before he uh, died was, um, an editorial, an op-ed, what they call now an, an opinion piece for the Saturday Evening Post. And the title of it was this. I don't know why I, I, these things just started coming my way. I wasn't, well, I'll just tell you, the title of his article was, We Have No Right to Happiness. We Have No Right to Happiness. And uh, Trevin Wax kind of describes a brief essay, lays out the problem of separating happiness, quote, happiness from obedience to the eternal law. And it shows tremendous foresight in how the right to, quote, sexual happiness, end of quote, would inevitably alter our view of happiness in general until the very heart of civilization would be threatened. And he says, I published Lewis's entire article below that statement. Now, I don't normally do this. I don't normally read a, a lot here, but uh, I also have a bunch of paper here. Sharon Brackner preached from an iPad yesterday. And I'm thinking, well, how can she do it and I can't do it? But she did. She used an iPad. I, I just admired her for being able to, to be that flexible. I, it, it's not flexible with me. 
But just follow along here, and you can look this article up, and I'm just going to just have little snippets from it. But here's how C.S. Lewis started. It's typical C.S. Lewis. After all, said Claire, they had a right to happiness. That's the first line. After all, said Claire, they had a right to happiness. Reading it just like he wrote it. We were discussing something that happened once in our own neighborhood. Mr. A, this is the uh, illustration I told Brent I wasn't going to give, but here it goes. Mr. A had deserted Mrs. A and got his divorce in order to marry Mrs. B, who had likewise got her divorce in order to marry Mr. A. And there was certainly no doubt that Mr. A and Mrs. B were very much in love with one another. If they continued to be in love, and if nothing went wrong with their health or their income, they might reasonably expect to be very happy. It was equally clear that they were not happy with their old partners. Mrs. B had adored her husband at the outset, but then he got smashed up in the war. It was thought he had lost his virility, and it was known that he had lost his job. Life with him was no longer what Mrs. B had bargained for. Poor Mrs. A, too, she had lost her looks and all of her liveliness. It might be true, as some said, that she consumed herself by bearing children and nursing him through the long illness that overshadowed their earlier married life. You mustn't, by the way, imagine that A was the sort of man who nonchalantly threw a wife away like the peel of an orange he had sucked dry. I'll, I'll read that again because it's classical C.S. Lewis. You mustn't, by the way, imagine that Mr. A was the sort of man who nonchalantly threw a wife away like the peel of an orange he had sucked dry. Her suicide was a shock to him. We all knew this, for he told us so himself. Quote, but what could I do, he said. A man has a right to happiness. I had to take my one chance when it came. And that's the start of the article. It gets really interesting after that. I'll let you discover that. But one of the things Lewis, you know, Lewis married late in his life and lost his wife to cancer. And she was American. So he, he had a lot of knowledge about American ways. And he, and he mentions what Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence about that we are endowed with our creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Now, he mentions that in that article. It's a great, you know, if you, you do well just to go and read through it and see how he breaks that down. But he noticed this, and he makes a big thing about the word pursuit. As long as the pursuit of happiness is along the lines that are morally right and culturally right and biblically right. But notice that Jefferson did not say that we're endowed with our creator with certain inalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and happiness. He did not say that, did he? He didn't say the, that happiness was a riot, but that the pursuit, the Freedom to pursue happiness is part of what God wants for us. God gives us life. He gives us liberty. Those are the first two things. 
life, liberty. And he says within those two things, we should be able to have a pursuit of happiness. But what happens if you're pursuing happiness in the wrong way, in the wrong place? Now remember, this is 1963. And even in mere Christianity, Lewis talks about how awful the culture was in his day, morally, morally. And anybody knows the history of mere Christianity, it was not a book to begin with. It was a series of broadcasts that the BBC came to him and asked him, could you give some broadcasts on our radio network to encourage the British people while we're in war. And he took the liberty to talk to the British people about what real Christianity was all about. And it was to encourage the British people to hang in there when the fighting was so intense. And then he talked about the culture of his day, the morality of his day being so bad. I wonder what Lewis would write about today he probably would be kicked off of Facebook if he, said, if he said what he really felt. But here's the other person I'm going to refer you to is Paris Reedhead. You probably heard me refer to this sermon, Ten Shekels and a Shirt. He preached this in 1965, just two years after Lewis had died. So we, we, they're all in the same time frame of culture. And Reedhead was a close friend to A.W. Tozier, and he preached this to Bethany Fellowship up in Minneapolis, Minnesota in 1965. And at the start of his message, and by the way, this is the most listened to sermon worldwide. There's not a sermon that comes close. I don't even know who had the good sense to record it, and the recording has been preserved since 1965. Now it's digitized when Al Baker gave it to me it was on a cassette tape that shows you how long I've been here and he told me he says this is a sermon you need to hear but you don't need to hear it once you need to hear it twice and so I did that and both times it just kind of sunk in on me where this man was coming from in this message ten shekels and a shirt it's cast in a, a passage in Judges where this guy named Micah hires a Levite to do personal priest work in his home away from the temple and he hired this priest to be his own personal priest for 10 shekels and a change of clothing. And this is how he begins with the statement. He says, I would like to call your attention to the fact that our day, 1965, that our day is a day which the ruling philosophy is pragmatism. You understand what pragmatism means, right? Pragmatism means if it works, it's true. If it succeeds, it's good. And the test of all practices, all principles, all truth, so-called all teaching is do they work? Do they work? And he goes on to say, I'm afraid that it's become so subtle this this immorality that's creeping in in 1965 that it goes everywhere. What is it? It's in essence this, that the, the philosophical postulate that the end of all being is the happiness of men. How can you find two articles 
together dealing with the happiness that people are seeking that kind of mesh together and they're only like two years apart from their sources. It's been sort of covered over with evangelical terms and biblical doctrine until God reigns in heaven for the happiness of men. Jesus Christ was incarnate for the happiness of men. All the angels exist in the happiness of man. And he said, I submit to you that this is unchristian. Isn't man happy? Did God, didn't God intend to make man happy? Yes, but as a byproduct, not the prime product. That was 1965. You know what? We better get busy about combating the assault on our biblical principles. We better get serious because that, look how many years ago that was. 50 some odd years ago and look where we're at today. I don't know what these guys would think. Whatever we thought was uh, the sexual revolution of the 1960s, I'm telling you, it was a runny nose compared to the pneumonia we're having today. Right. Yeah, what, what, whatever people thought, the pre-love and all of that, and Woodstock and all of that stuff, it, it, it is child's play to what's going on today. Reedhead goes on to say, and see, I'm doing this because probably most of you is not going to go listen to that, so I'm just going to read it to you. No, not really. I'm going to read some of it to you. I will tell you this. When um, the pastor over at uh, Northport Baptist Church, um, his, his last name says Pastor John was, uh, we were in prayer meetings together. This was years ago. And, and um, you know, the great preacher from Memphis had talked about payday someday. Robertson, Pastor Robertson, I think his name was. And he says, I'll give you this copy of, of Payday Someday. I said, and I got, a, I got a sermon for you. I'll give you a copy. I gave him a copy of 10 shekels and a shirt. And a few weeks after that, a couple weeks after that, we had another prayer meeting. He walks up to me. He says, you didn't warn me. You didn't warn me. I, I put that on in my workshop just to listen while I was doing something. And before it was over with, I was in a puddle of tears. He says, you should have warned me. I said, well, you know, and the, and the message he gave me just kind of hit me. But th this is a message that very few, I, I don't know how many of the odds are the preachers that listen to it, but every preacher needs to hear that sermon. And when Paris Reedhead was asked about copies of it, he says, I didn't keep a copy of it. He says, and I'm not going to write a copy of it, and I'm not going to preach it again. That was not my sermon. That was a sermon that God gave me for those men there. And he refused to take any, like, credit at all he refused to reprint it and people who listened to it they wrote the script out and that script now has been translated in seven different languages around the world and so this sermon has kind of made its way in places that probably he would have never thought that his name would even be mentioned but he says this and you could define humanism this way, humanism is a philosophical statement that declares that the end of being is the happiness of man. The reason for existence is man's happiness. Now, according to humanism, salvation is simply a matter of getting all the happiness you can get out of life. And if you're influenced by someone like Nietzsche, who says that the only true satisfaction in life is power, and that the power is its own justification, this would produce in due course a Hitler who would take 
the philosophy of Nitschke as his working operating principles and God and would say of his people that we are destined to rule the world. Therefore, any means that we can use to achieve this is our salvation. And the, and the tragedy was that the Lutheran church institutionally embraced that. And the Catholic church looked the other way. The Catholic church later apologized that they were like mute about the destruction that this man had wreaked on Germany and on Poland. Reedhead goes on and says this. Somebody else turns around and says, well, no, the end of being is happiness, but happiness does not come from authority over people. Happiness comes from sensual pleasure experience. So you would have the type of existentialism in America to the gross sensuality of our country. He is calling <laughs> in 1965 the gross sensuality of America. Since man is essentially a glandular animal whose highest moments of ecstasy comes from the exercise of his glands, salvation is simply to find the most desirable way to satisfy or gratify this part of a person. And so this became the effect of humanism, that the end of all being is the happiness of man. So we had cultural lawlessness. When every man could do it, it seemed right in his own eyes and had no God to rule over us. The Bible had been discounted and disallowed and disapproved. According to what they said, God had been dethroned, he didn't exist, and he had no personal relationship to individuals. Jesus Christ was either a myth or just a man, so they taught, and therefore the whole end of being was happiness. The individual would establish the standards of his happiness and interpret it. If it is not directly affecting you, one ought to do whatever one pleases. That's what we're told today. That, that last statement was not his. That's what I wrote down. It's like, we're told that it, if whatever I'm doing does not have an adverse effect on you, you have no right to tell me that I shouldn't do that. But it's kind of like we're all on a, in a harbor of boats. And whatever somebody is doing on their boat is not going to affect our boat until they lose control of their boat. Then their boat starts colliding with other boats. And this is how we're really told to shut up and keep your Bible beliefs to yourself, we don't want to hear. There's, this, there's an outright censorship of biblical principles. They're really telling us, you know, that Christians are bigots because we believe that a marriage is between one man and one woman. And that we just need to shut up and get out of the way and stop harassing people by saying that we believe that. Do you see what it's come to today? In the media, the current culture has expanded those standards. They've reinterpreted what's right and wrong. And they made it in such a way that believers, even believers, are wrestling with the implications within their own faith. I wish I could stand here and tell you that, that born-again believers, there's no born-again believers, there's no people who have a relationship with Jesus that is pro-choice. But there are. And I know what my dad would say, well, they're not born again, you know. You know, I told him, about, you know, he, he told me one day, he said, any Christian that voted for Bill Clinton was not a Christian. I said, well, Christians can vote for whoever. They said, no, they can't. I said, okay. You don't, you didn't win arguments with Winford Lynn. But it's kind of like, what I'm trying to say to you is that the ideas that were foreign 50 years ago in the church has now crept its way into the church and now we have people kind of like 
blending it all in. For what? Because people want to be happy, and if you affect their happiness at all, you're wrong. Because the end of a lot of people for their existence is, I need to be happy, and you're not making me happy. But what you say? Are you following me? So what's the difference between happiness and joy? Because, you know, when happiness is something that happens externally, we may resort to things externally, and it's, and it's the wrong happiness. It's not the lasting joy. Let me take you. Th this is going to be the positive side of the message, okay? You ready for some positive? Amen. Can't wait. Go to Nehemiah chapter 8. Just going to take a few minutes on what is joy. I read the passage that the joy of the Lord is your strength. I mean, here's the backdrop to Nehemiah 8. Ezra gets up and starts reading the law of Moses, the books of Moses, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy. This is when they're going back to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And Ezra gets up and he starts reading the law of the Lord, Moses' writings. And in verse 8 it says, And they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Which is kind of like the opposite of happiness, right? For all the people, this is why they were weeping. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. The truth of God had broken through the layers of their stuff. And they realized how wrong they had been. And this was brokenness. And Nehemiah said to them, go and enjoy, go get something to eat. I'll never forget in our first pastor, something really bad happened. I, I quit the ministry twice in the first two years I was in ministry. I told the Lord, I didn't sign up for this, and I'm out of here. <laughs> and the second time we were pastoring, and something happened, and I told her about it. And I was just, I was really out of sorts. I, it just, I couldn't believe what was just told to me from our district office. And I just kind of had it. And I looked at her. <laughs> here we are. We had a little, a little baby, toddler. And I said, we're going to go eat seafood. We never ate out. We didn't have money to eat out. But I was depressed. It's a wonder I didn't bloom. And we went out there and eat. I said, at least we're ending the day on a good note. We're eating seafood. <laughs> I made a call to the district office later that, and, and they had something all wrong. They was giving wrong information. And I was singing hallelujah. But I think sometimes people... <laughs> People, when they're depressed, let's go eat. <laughs> and this is what he said. I don't know. It's the only way I can take it. He says, go and get you some food, choice food, sweet drinks. Get you caramel, macchiatos, and all that you want. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. Just go out and find you something to enjoy. 
The day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I like that kind of counsel. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Wipe the tears from your eyes. This is a good day. Yes, you got beaten down to tears, but God has good things ahead for you because he is not going to give you happiness. He's going to give you joy. There is a huge difference there. Psalm 30, if you want to turn to that psalm, these are, I'm preaching like three sermons in one sweep. Psalm 30, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. 30 verse 5, if you're there, it's not a very long psalm. <clears throat> it really lets us know that joy is more, listen, joy is more than external, right? Because how much external can change between night and morning? He didn't say happiness is going to come in the morning because their circumstances had not changed. They had been under the judgment of God. Again, it was a judgment of God. The anger of the Lord was there. And, and he says, you know, this has caused you weeping for a night, but joy, the real contentment of life, is waiting for you the next morning. He says God can change the heart in a moment, right? And this passage talks about God giving them joy, not happiness. Happiness was not going to come to them the next morning. Joy was that settled contentment. And look how this psalm ends. This is why I told you to go there, Psalm 30. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Forever. The disposition of the soul of the psalmist was changed when he realized that the test, the weeping, was momentary, but the joy of the Lord was waiting for him the next morning. And then this last verse, I'll finish with this, and the praise team can come up. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, I memorized it in King James, so that's the only way I can say it. Seems like joy is a posture of the soul, while happiness is more aligned with what's going on out here. Everybody's happy. Most everybody's happy when their football team wins. Some really don't care. Brenda was shocked when she found out that she had married an absolutely crazy football fanatic. Her first moment of me having to tell her I was sorry. <laughs> She's like, what is wrong with you? My friend Joe Shirley, you couldn't read him. And, and sometimes people come to assessment just by looking, and, you, and it may not be that way at all. God never smiled. He passed away a few years ago. Good friend of mine had me come hunt with him every time I could go hunting in South Carolina. Very close more like a brother but you couldn't read him he didn't smile a lot he was in fact one of the lady in the church nicknamed him smiley just to see if they could get some kind of rise out of him but he had this settled contentment in his life this joy it, it wasn't expressed like a lot of personalities i remember you talking about beckham being this happy child this he's always happy he's always joyful and, and 
sometimes it's just the personality of a child. I remember Kelly telling me one time, well, Daddy, I'm not a morning person. I said, well, how does that explain the evenings? And she looked at me and says, oh, that was pretty low right there. That... <laughs> and some swing the pendulum. It's really happy or it's the despair of life. But this is not what he's saying in Galatians 5.22. And this is juxtaposed to the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are external. Listen to this in verse 17. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. It's not up to us to define what the rules are. The flesh is going to always be in conflict with the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law, the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality impurity debauchery idolatry witchcraft hatred discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition dissensions factions envy drunkenness orgies and the like with somebody well i just have a a, a short temper well that's the flesh right fits of rage that's when you know the flesh has won out. There's in conflict. There's, there's no way. And you think about this. The works of the flesh are external things, and they're multiple things. But the fruit of the Spirit is not plural. Have you ever noticed that? Singular. <laughs> they're not like the gifts of the Spirit. Well, I, I can operate in that one, and, and I'm just just like it when someone says, well, I have all nine gifts of the Spirit operating in me. That's awesome. But we might treat the fruit of the Spirit as though they're separate. I'm good on love. I'm good. I really like that joy. I really like that peace. But that temperance, that self-control, I'm working on that. No, you're not working on it. you got to let the Holy Spirit do that in you. Amen preach it pastor the fruit of the spirit is love choice do you want joy you know this is a, and I want you to stand with me we're going to have a time of prayer boy there's just something about this verse just rocked me rocked me during worship and that's why I wanted us to sing it again and I tell you what it reminded me of two years ago not uh, 2017 rehearsed in me one of our toughest, toughest challenges that we've had and just trying to get through and the Lord reminded me of that and joy to me is like you know living in Jacksonville for 11 years we'd go out to the beach high tide, low tide I, got, I went saning. Anybody ever done saning for fish? It's, it's, it was a blast. I had one guy, he would uh, he would chum for shrimp with a cast net. And on low tide, he'd take these bamboo poles and he'd go out and position them. And that's where he would chum for the shrimp. And at high tide, 
he would have a cast net on a boat and he would cast his is a work of beauty but you got you just got used to when you went out there whether it's high tide or low tide you better know you better know if it's going to be a really high tide because you could find yourself in trouble but I looked at joy like a boulder that's on that beach and the high tide comes and covers it but it's not moved it's only when the assault of the sea backs off and it was there all the time and see some of you have been through fire lately and you wonder why do I not have an expression of joy I'm telling you the joy of the Lord is a boulder lodged in your soul he has not let you and this this time to pray and seek the Lord is for you that's in a fire are you you've come through a fire but you're not it's damaged your your confidence your faith your trust but he wants to bring that joy back to full force Lord I pray this morning for those who've been through fire and are going through fire right now we love your voice we need to hear your voice in the midst of turbulence and I pray for those in this room that's in turbulence right now the high tide is just trying to wash away their faith wash away their joy but you said your joy would be our strength would be their strength and as we sing this if, if that's you I want you to just come and stand across the front we're just going to give it to the Lord